the maze last night? Yeah? How many of you did it when it was dark? That is, you, yeah. Isn't, wasn't it challenging in the dark? Yeah, ask Nicole how to go. Yeah. After church, you can do the maze. It is, it is in this corner. It's in the field. And everybody's invited to go out there and do it. If you're not hungry... And go out there, and uh, yeah, in the maze. So, so great, great, great evening. All right, we are in a series on prayer, and um, this series has revolved around a question, um, actually a statement, ask, and it will be given to you, is, is kind of the thing that we've been revolving around, and we've unpacked that, because prayer is very simple to tell you to do it, but it's a very complex thing. Like when we say ask and you receive, there's some stuff behind that asking and receiving. You don't get everything that you ask for. It, it, it's not a genie in a bottle. It, it's, God's not up in heaven just waiting for you to ask for something and he's going to poof, give it to you. That, that's not the way that prayer works. And so for the last couple of weeks, actually four weeks, we've been talking about this concept of asking and receiving and what that actually means. So the first one was prayer limits. The second one was prayer relationship. The third one was um, prayer connection. The fourth one was prayer listening. And then today's, which I'm not going to give to you until the end, um, today's is, is, of course, today's sermon, okay? So, so we, it's this asking sort of thing. Um, so to get us started on this one, I want to show you a picture of a jellyfish. Boom. How many of you have ever seen a jellyfish at the beach? Seen it? Okay. How many of you in the room have been stung by a jellyfish? Several of you. Wow. More than the last one. Yeah. More than the last one. Um, I have never been stung by a jellyfish. That's right. That's right. I stay on the beach. I do not get into the water. My feet may accidentally get wet as I walk down the beach. It, 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 you know, you're walking and a wave comes in a little further than it normally does, you know, and it gets my feet a little bit wet. Um, I have actually been out in the water a couple of times, but not very many. The last time I went out into the water, I was brave enough to go out into the water. I got up to... My, my waistline, this is my waist, not here. This is my waist right here. Yeah, forget where it is sometimes. It's, it's right here. You know, as you get older, your waistline moves up. And actually, those pants are coming in style for young people. And can I just say something to our young people in the audience? Don't wear those. Your grandfather is wearing those. Your grandma, you don't need to be wearing those. Wear something young. Okay, so we're getting back to this. So the waistline, I got to my waistline, and one of my, my good friends, Josh Hill, rode a wave in. I had just gotten out there. Good friend Josh Hill rode a wave in, and he hit my knee, and I went down. And that is the last time that I've been in the ocean. Just is just not my thing. So I've not been stung with the jellyfish. So jellyfish do not have backbones at all. And sometimes our prayers do not have backbones. They are so general, they're what I call jellyfish prayers. We, we make a jellyfish statement, uh, bless such and such, but we never get to a specific of how you want that person to be blessed. 
We just bless them. Are we saying, heal them, Lord? Or are we saying, let them have a good day? And it's just kind of a jellyfish prayer. It, there's no, like, backbone to it. So what you really need to do is put some backbone into your asking. For instance, if I'm asking for somebody to be blessed, I'll say, Lord, bless them today at their job. If they're a person that makes money according to how many cells that they have, I pray, Lord, bless them with a lot of cells today. Help them to be able to make the money that they need in order to support their family. Do you see how that's different? It is a very specific prayer that I'm praying. I'm praying blessing, but here's how you can do it, Lord. And it's within the realm of possibility. Instead of just bless, good, jellyfish, um, it, it's very specific. If it's healing, uh, like if somebody's in the hospital, I will pray a backbone prayer. It's not a jellyfish prayer. Is Lord, this person's in the hospital. And so today... As the doctors meet and try to figure out what is wrong with this person, give them the wisdom and the knowledge to be able to understand what this person has and give them the appropriate medication so that they can get better. I just want to say this, and I'm not against doctors, but doctors don't always know what's going on. They have to kind of guess and with their knowledge investigate each thing that is in front of them and then make the best decision. Thank you. This is our resident doctor here. So you have to, you have to do that. Yeah. So, so it is beyond comprehension to, to think that we wouldn't pray for a doctor to have wisdom because they could diagnose incorrectly, and we don't want that. We want them to diagnose correctly. I've told Nicole before, if I ever have a heart attack, I don't know why my family thinks I'm going to have a heart attack. I, I, don't, I feel fine. My heart feels fine. Um, I'll... I don't even really like fried chicken other than Chick-fil-A, and we all know that that's God's, so there's no cholesterol at Chick-fil-A, okay? Don't know why they, they would think that, but, but I told Nicole that um, if I ever go to the hospital, I want you to get the best doctor, even if he isn't a Christian. If he is the best heart surgeon in the world, and he is cussing and cutting, I want him, and I want you to pray that God will give him the skills to make me better. I don't want a Christian that is new to the heart surgery deal cutting on me. Do do you know what I'm saying? I don't want, oh, this is our first one. It's your what? Um, No, no, no. Get me the guy that's experienced. He might even be an atheist, but you pray for him and let him cuss and cut, cuss and cut, cuss and cut. And God will help. Are Are you tracking with me? So you, you do not this jellyfish thing. You actually have a backbone in your prayer and you pray for these people, right? You pray for it. So I think, I think the reason that Christians often do the jellyfish prayer is because maybe they feel good about it because you can't track really a jellyfish prayer. I mean, it's just general. And so in a general way, you feel like that your, that your prayers are answered. But but a specific prayer that has a backbone to it, you can track that. And why are we so afraid to track a prayer that is specific? It is great when God answers it, right? I think we're bothered when he says no. That's what we're bothered with. And then why he says no, we go through that whole deal. 
But I'm here to tell you, you need to quit doing jellyfish prayer unless it's just the last resort. And you need to have some backbone in your praying. Pray specifically for people and you will see God work. So jellyfish prayers. Um, (laughs) Anybody remember Veruca Salt? Veruca Salt, right? Veruca Salt, she's, she's in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, and she really wanted a Oompa Loompa, right? And she, she really passionately wanted it. I have to say that because we're in 2021, they were passionate. Back in my days, it was spoiled brat. She needed a spanking, that sort of deal. But today, it's, oh, she's very passionate about it. Okay, okay. It's still a sin, But she's really, like, really mad about it. And it didn't turn out too well for her. She was asking her father for one. Her father couldn't give it to her, so she pitched pitched a fit. Sometimes our prayers, we need to make sure. Let me put it this way. We need to make sure our prayers are not salty. So we don't go into the throne room of God and pitch a fit like Veruca, right? And make them so salty that we're just pitching a fit because God isn't giving us what we're asking for. So you don't do that either. There is backbone and then there's spoiled brat praying. Don't go into the throne room of God asking for something that you're emotional about and blaming him because he hasn't given it to you and he must not love you, right? Or you would get, don't do that. That is is a dangerous thing to do. Instead, Make sure that it's specific to the situation and appropriate to the situation. God is not up in heaven just granting everybody's wishes. There's a purpose for everything that he does. Now, notice these verses in Scripture. Psalm 24 says, May he grant your heart's desire. Right? God wants to grant your heart's desire. But here's the qualification for it. Notice this verse in Psalm 37, 4. It says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. In other words, it's that relationship where you've delighted yourself in the Lord and your heart becomes in tune with his and then you pray. That is when you are in track to be in the power of God. You are praying his desires because they have become your desires. Nicole, for her birthday, wanted a, a watch, and it, it's, a, it's a Fitbit because she likes to track her steps because she knows that she can beat me at at least that, um, exercise and tracking her steps. It's not really the reason she wanted it. Hers broke because she does this dog grooming thing. She's very good at it, and the dogs sometimes mess up a watch, so she really wanted that. So I gave her that watch. It was a desire of her heart for Christmas, it, uh, not for Christmas, for your birthday. She is 29 years old. This year, I think, for, I'm not going to tell you how many times, but she's 29 years old. But there she is. She gets that. That was a desire of her heart. This isn't, this isn't the same as that. Now, sometimes God does give you things, like watches and stuff that you really don't need, that, you know, he, he just gives it to you because he loves you. But most of the time, what this means is the desires of your heart is matching what God wants, and your prayers, you are praying exactly what God wants. And that, that is the desire of your heart. You desire what God wants, and that's what you're praying. Now, last year, when I started this whole prayer thing, I um, purchased a book that I was very intrigued with. It said, Dangerous Prayers. Dangerous Prayers. 
And I was very intrigued with it. I wanted to know what these dangerous prayers was that they were going to cover. So I got the book. Come to find out, the book is not about dangerous praying. Um, It's really about the will of God and praying for the will of God in your life and how to find it. The editors termed it dangerous prayers in order to get people to buy it, and it worked. I fell for it. But I enjoyed, I enjoyed the book. I really did enjoy the book. But then I thought, well, let, maybe we should explore this thing of dangerous prayers because there are dangerous prayers in the Bible. So on Facebook last year, I posted this. It says, what would you consider to be a dangerous prayer to pray? Now, I, I know a lot of people on Facebook, right? There's a lot of people there. And um, some of the people that I know came back with, um, well, it depends on your definition of prayer. And my private response to them was, don't play 90s politics with me. <laughs> Does not depend on the definition. Just answer the stinking question. What is a dangerous prayer, right? What is a dangerous prayer in Scripture? And so we, we, got, we got some good responses, actually. Here's one, Angie York says, anytime we are praying for the lost to come to a saving knowledge of Christ or on the behalf of other brothers and sisters against spiritual attacks, we are engaging in spiritual warfare. And I'm telling you, if you start really praying for people to be saved, like in your family, it seems that your family comes into some type of turmoil, right? That's a dangerous prayer to pray because you are going right up against on the front lines with the enemy. I think that that particular dangerous prayer is very worth it to pray. Because if you stay at it, chances are those individuals will at least consider the gospel message and or receive Jesus as their Savior. So it's definitely worth it. Here's the next one. Annie Hamilton said a selfish prayer. That's absolutely true. Okay. Ben Paris said, a good friend of mine recognized his need to return to faith some years ago and asked God to light a fire under his gluteus maximus. His house burned down that night and fire started under the chair he was sitting in. You have to be careful what you pray for. Okay? You have to be careful what you pray for. Here's another one. Ellen Miller, the most dangerous prayer is the one we fail to pray. But all prayer is warfare with Satan. Satan. That's pretty good. The most dangerous prayer is the one that you don't pray. Because in Scripture, it's very clear. God moves when his people praise. And that means that he doesn't move when you don't. Does that mean that he stopped working? Absolutely not. But we can move the heart of God in a direction when we pray. And so the most dangerous one is when we fail to pray. That was very wise. Next, Carla Salas. I went to school with her, um, and she, she's funny. But um, for wealth, and then the last one's for long life, and in the middle, for another spouse. It's been a questionable prayer for me for years. <laughs> which, which I think is funny for multiple reasons. Okay, is there another one? Yes, one more. Jonathan Scott, God humble me. I prayed it one time and wrecked, flipped, the company golf cart coming down a big hill in front of all my coworkers two hours later. So some dangerous prayers, and I'm not, it's just not prayers that I, I no longer pray these prayers. It's not that I don't need to be humble. I just don't want to pray them because I know what happens. 
it's not that I don't want patience, it's that I know what happens. In fact, I, I have determined in my mind to pray patience for particular situations that I'm in. Lord, this is a situation, I need patience. Not a jellyfish patient prayer. Lord, just make me patient. If you do that, it is gonna break loose in your life. And every person you're behind on the road is going to be slow. And every person in the grocery line is going to have to get some special box of cigarettes that they have to go not only to the, to the customer service, but all the way in the back to get it. And you're just sitting there with your stuff. I am speaking from experience that I need counseling. It, you, you just don't pray. Don't, look, don't pray for prayer unless you're ready. I personally do not have the patience anymore to pray for that prayer. <laughs> I, just, I, I just no longer have that. So you have to be very careful paying, uh, praying for patience. So let's do this. Let's get into the Bible and let's look at a couple of dangerous prayers that were prayed. So the first place we're going to go is Judges chapter 11. Judges chapter 11 in, in, in the scripture. Judges chapter 11. <clears throat> Judges chapter 11. And we'll begin reading with verse 30. And this is what it says. And Jephthah made a vow to the Lord and said, If you will give the Ammonites into my hand... Then whatever comes out from the doors of my house to meet me when I return in peace from the Ammonites shall be the Lord's, and I will offer it up for a burnt offering. Very dangerous. When you start making vows before God, you are saying, if you do this, I will be accountable to you to do this. And so Japheth, crossed over to the Ammonites. Let's skip down to the latter part of verse 33. So the Ammonites were subdued before the people of Israel. He won. Verse 34. Then Jephthah came to his home in Mizpah, and behold, his daughter came out to meet him with tambourines and with dances. She was his only child. Besides her, he had neither son nor daughter. And as soon as he saw her, he tore his clothes and said, Alas, my daughter, you have brought me very low, and you have become the cause of great trouble for me. For I have opened my mouth to the Lord, and I cannot take back my vow. Wow. So he, he said, whatever comes out, and his daughter came out. Now listen, in Scripture, God teaches that human sacrifices are not to be offered. Okay, I just need to leave that there. But you also need to understand that God took his vow seriously and he had to. Okay, I don't have time to unpack this passage. Anyway, he had to give her to God. That's what he had to do. You need to be careful making vows before God. When you enter that throne room, you need to think through what you're saying. And if you're going to make a vow... You better be ready to keep it, and it better be something that you have thought through. He did not think through what might run out of his, his house. And you might say, well, wouldn't people just run out of your house? No, they had pigs, and 
they didn't have pigs, they're Jewish. They had, they had sheep and goats inside the houses. They, they stayed in the bottom and they actually lived on the top. That's how these houses were. But it was, it's a very, very serious thing. So let's go to another place that's more positive in the vow. So go to 1 Samuel chapter 1. 1 Samuel chapter 1. Because I know the judges one takes the wind out of you. 1 Samuel chapter 1. And we'll begin reading with verse 9. And this is what it says. After they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. And she was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall touch his head. That was a well thought out prayer. She said, if you give me a son, I will give him to the temple for temple service. And she did it. She became pregnant. She nursed him. And at the point that that boy could go to the temple and do temple service, she gave her son to the temple. And under Eli, he lived with Eli and he did temple service. He was in the service of the Lord. Amazing. Not only is it amazing that she was able to do that, she kept her vow. She also had children after Samuel. So not only did she, was she able to give her son to the temple for, to work in the temple in God's house, she was also able to have more children. Not only that, but Samuel is one of the greatest prophets in the Old Testament. He's amazing. He came in. He was the most righteous man in that particular day. He anointed Saul, king of Israel, and then anointed David, king of Israel, who We all know David is in the line of Jesus Christ. So Samuel was a part of all of that. So this woman's prayer was actually in line with the will of God. She gave him a son and she gave that son to him for his service and God used him in a mighty way. Look, I don't know how you feel as a parent, but I hope and pray that my children are used in a mighty way of God. That they bring many to the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ and that God uses them. And so she not only got that, she got someone that, that actually made a difference for God. So here's a couple of things about this whole vow thing, all right? First of all, if you make a vow, think it through before you make it. See, what happened is Japheth was emotionally distraught because he was losing a battle and in desperation, he made a vow. If you're desperate, that might not be the time for you to word a vow to God, okay? However, Hannah was desperate, right? But somehow in her wisdom, she actually prayed a vow that made sense, and something that she was able to keep and willing to keep. So be careful what you say in emotion. It's not that you don't emotionally make a vow, but you need to be careful what you say in that vow. And then secondly, if you make a vow, you keep it. It's dangerous not to. 
In my time, I've heard people in the hospital say, if God will only make me better, I will serve him in the church and, and be his forever. If you ever do that, you better keep that vow that you made to the Lord. He brings you out of the hospital, back to church. You better serve him faithfully. And with your whole heart, you better do it. It's dangerous not to. You see, I tell you all the time that you can boldly approach the throne of grace because we follow Jesus in. That's our entrance. But what I also need to say to you is this. You are not talking to another human. You're talking to the God that created the universe, that created you, that is magnificent and holy and righteous and beyond anything that we can imagine. He's amazing. He's a very powerful being. So when we approach him boldly, that does not mean that we're flippant in our approach. We are reverent in our approach. We are respectful in our, re our approach. And we better make sure that we know what we are asking for. We need to know. Now, can you just talk to God? Absolutely. I've told you that before. You don't have to have a perfect prayer to talk to God, but you better be careful what you say. You better think through what you say when you talk to him. He's just, he's just more than human and deserves that respect. And he takes seriously what you are asking for. So making God a deal. Here's another one. Asking God for something out of a heart of complaint. <laughs> I know nobody, nobody in this room has ever done that. So heart of complaint would basically be, be saying, um, Lord, I don't know why you're not answering this prayer. Um, and, and you kind of complain about the fact that he hasn't answered your prayer. Right? I, I find that people are not thankful for what they already have that God has given to them. And so they come to God in prayer, not even thankful for the things that he has given them, but unthankful and complaining about what he hasn't given them. And they give a lot of time to this complaint. You haven't made me this. You haven't given me this. You haven't answered this. You haven't done this. You haven't done this. You haven't done this. Well, stop a moment before you enter the throne room and think about what God has given you. If you are here today and you are breathing God has given you a great gift. He's given you a great gift. If you have a home to stay in, a car to get you there, you have more than 98% of the world. Top 2% of the world have vehicles. 98% of them do not. You have more. Be thankful for what you have and don't complain. This is what often happens. Check this out in scripture. <clears throat> Numbers chapter 11, verse 18 says, and this is the children of Israel, and say to the people, consecrate yourself for tomorrow and you shall eat meat for you have wept in the hearing of the Lord. Saying, who will give us meat to eat for it was better for us in Egypt. That is salty. Therefore, the Lord will give you meat and you shall eat. So here's the children of Israel that have walked through the parting of the Red Sea. Let's not even talk about the plagues in Egypt. They have this thing called manna falling on the ground for them to pick up and make bread out of every morning. It is gone by the afternoon. You can't keep it the next day. It is there. It is a miraculous work of God. And so they're complaining because the manna, which they're blessed with, it's a miracle. Every, 
It's a miracle every day. Right? It's a miracle every day. I don't know if you know science, but bread doesn't fall from the sky. It just doesn't happen. Miracle every day. So they're not satisfied with this miracle. And so they complain because they don't have meat. And in their complaint, they're slapping God in the face who has already provided for them. And so here is how the story ends. Numbers chapter 11, verse 33 says, While the meat was yet between their teeth, before it was consumed, the anger of the Lord was kindled against the people, and the Lord struck down the people with a very great plague. You need to be very careful approaching the throne of grace, complaining about things you don't have when you have so much to be thankful for. So be careful in your complaints. Here's another one. Send me, but you're not really willing to go. (laughs) Send me, but you're not really willing to go. Um, I I think as as parents, we would would love for God to use our children in a magnificent way, and, and he should send them places, but let's just make sure it's in Davie County and the the Tri-County area. Somewhere in that area, can you use them right there? Don't send them to Africa, okay? We might pray ourselves, Lord, send me wherever you want me to go, but let's not make it Africa. Let's do something, something else. Like maybe not even India, maybe somewhere else. Maybe if it's somewhere in America, it would be great, right? Somewhere, oh, that, that could be a, a political slogan. Anyway, it would be great. Never mind. Forget that. So just send me here. Send me locally where I don't have to do it. We have to be careful praying, send me, and then not really serious about God wanting to send us somewhere. So the example of this is Jonah. See, Jonah is not only mentioned in the four little book, the four little minor prophet book. He's also mentioned other places in Scripture. And Jonah was a called prophet of God. Jonah had prayed this prayer, send me. And send me wherever you want me to go. And God said, okay, great. I want to send you to Nineveh. And the prophet of God ran from the presence of God. I think Jonah is one of the funniest books in the Old Testament. You have this prophet that knows God is all-knowing, but thinks for just a moment God has closed his eyes and counted one, two, three, four, while Jonah runs off and hides in the bottom of a ship. God never closes his eyes. You don't want to play hide and seek with him. He knows where you are. He has peeked around the bush. He has peeked around the, the tree. He knows where you are. And so here's this prophet. He's running away from God. He said, send me anywhere, but I'm not going to go to Nineveh. And he gets on this ship and he winds up in the belly of a big fish. It is a literal big fish. This is not an allegory. This really happened. It was a big enough fish to swallow him whole, and he stayed there three days and three nights. And then the fish takes him to the shore where he could get to Nineveh kind of quickly and vomits him up on the shore, and Jonah smells incredible. Looks amazing. Looks amazing. 
Smells incredible. I mean, you want to just, as soon as they see him on the beach, they just want to run up to him and give him a big old hug, right? So Jonah is, and he, I think, this is just me, and I'm playing some preacher imagination. I think that he made it to Nineveh without taking a bath. I think he made it there. He entered the city. He stunk. He preached a little bitty short message. Short message. Repent. God's going to doom this place. That's it. That's about all he said. And he did it all the way through, right? And then at the very end of the story, he's sitting on a mountain, and there's a great revival below from a short little message, and he's still pouting because God didn't do what he wanted him to do, destroy, destroy that city, right? If you pray the prayer, send me, what makes it dangerous is if you don't go when God calls you to go. If you pray that prayer, be ready. Because wherever he calls you to go, you're going to be accountable to him to go, and he's not going to easily let you not do it. Okay? Here's another one. Take my world apart. Now, this is a prayer that I have prayed. This is a personal prayer that I prayed. When I was in Kentucky... <clears throat> and at a church, um, first four years, it just it was it was just horrible. But things were on the upswing. There's some things that had happened, and, and we were on the upswing. It was it was really a good moment. I went to the beach, and um, Jars of Clay had this song, "Take My World Apart." Love that song. Still love it today. But on the beach, I was listening to it, and uh, I prayed that prayer: "Lord, take my world apart." And that is a dangerous prayer to pray. Because when I got back to Kentucky, he began to take my world apart. And he took it apart to the point where he sent me back here. So I'm leaving the church. I come back here, and I'm mowing yards. I've totally quit the ministry. He totally deconstructed my life. He answered that prayer. Well, part of the way into it, I get offered a job at a church to be a children's pastor. And the reason I took that job as a children's pastor is nobody politically cares about the children's pastor in a church. Nobody. He's never asked his opinion. They don't really care about his opinion. You can hide and do that job, and that job at that church paid money, like more money than I was making mowing yards. So I took that job, not out of a calling, but out of the mere fact it put more food on the table for me. I was there just a couple of weeks, and the whole staff left, and they asked me to preach. So I preached. And so just to do whatever I wanted to, but I think I know God was leading me to do it, I preached a sermon in that church with Calvin and Hobbes comics. The whole thing was filled with Calvin and Hobbes. I tied it into scripture. It was woven all the way through. And I thought, they will never ask me to preach again. They'll never ask me. This doesn't shock you, but in that environment, it was very, it was different. Let's just say that it was different. Wasn't used to this stuff. So, Trump, well, they asked me to preach again. The message God used it in such a magnificent way, it brought health to that congregation. 
And they asked me to preach again. And that is when God reaffirmed my call into ministry. But he wasn't done taking my world apart. And I'm not saying anything about that church in a negative way. But through the process of being there personally, God continued to take my world apart. And he didn't stop doing it until I walked through the doors of this church. And the moment that I walked through the doors of this church, I entered into God's world. It was no longer mine. I would never pray that prayer again because <laughs> it was so painful. It's a very dangerous prayer to pray, but I'm so glad I did because now I feel like I'm in God's world and this isn't mine. This church isn't my church. I'm just ministering here and he's allowing me to do it. And that is an amazing thing. The people here last night for the chicken stew, that's a God thing. The people here this morning in two services and a parking lot and and land, and all this. This is all a God thing. There is something special here, and I entered into God's world, and I am not going to leave to the best of my ability. I do not intend to leave God's world. Does that make sense? But be careful praying prayers like take my world apart, because God will take you up on it. He'll take you up on it. So here's the last one. Kill me, Elijah. Elijah got so depressed, he said, I'm not going to kill myself, but I'd like you to do it, Lord. Take me out. At least I'd feel good about it, right? And God said, no, I'm not going to do it. And I think Elijah is glad that God said no later on in his life. I think he's, I think he's absolutely excited about that. So what I want you to do now is I want you to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22. I'm sure that Elijah was glad that God doesn't give you all the desires of your heart. Because sometimes when you're emotional, your desires are stupid. Mine are, right? And it's God in his wisdom that said no, and that's an amazing thing. Um, <clears throat> Luke chapter 22, verse 41. <laughs> And this is what it said. This is the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he says this. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. So this is a prayer of God the Son to God the Father. I want to pause here a moment and remind everybody that God is one God with three persons. We have no idea how that works. But we know it's one God and there's three persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. But they're not three separate gods. They're one God together. I need you to hold on to that as I talk about the two persons of the Trinity here communicating with each other. Okay? So it's one God, it's not two gods talking to each other, it's one God. So here in Scripture, saying, Father, if you are willing, he's praying to God the Father, the first person of the Trinity, remove this cup from me, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus Christ is asking for a cup to be moved from him, a cup of suffering, something that he really would like to not experience in his life. He knew that it was ahead. 
He knew that it was ahead. So he's asking God to take this from him. And the key here is that he's, he's coming in with this emotion. He's coming in with, Lord, please let this cup pass for me. But he says this, but not my will, but your will be done. So when you and I approach the throne of grace and we really want something and we're very emotional about it, we make our request and we must always follow that request with, but Lord, if that is not your will, I would rather have your will in my life than to get this answered for me. So disregard this if it's not in your will and you do what you will and I will follow that. If you are not gonna take this suffering from me, I will follow this suffering to the very end. If you are not going to answer this prayer for me, it is because it's not your will, I accept that in my life and I am going to follow your will for my life. That is the example of Jesus. Now, let me show you something that I, I taught Wednesday night in Wednesday night's Bible study. And if you've already heard it, listen anyway. Okay, listen anyway. So here it is, Hebrews chapter five, verse seven. It says, in the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears. This is Luke chapter 22 in the garden of Gethsemane. Okay, now I want you to notice this. With loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. This gives insight into what Jesus was, say, was thinking. Jesus went into the Garden of Gethsemane, the second person of the Trinity, the most perfect prayer that has ever prayed on the face of the earth. He got on his knees and he said, God, the Father, I know you can do this. I know you can save me from the, from the suffering that is ahead. I know that you can save me from this. He can save me from this death. I know it, and I'm asking for it. And this is what God the Father told Jesus. No. 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 God the Father told Jesus Christ no. Or in terms of the Trinity, he told himself no. <laughs> right? He told himself no. Listen, if God the Father tells Jesus Christ no, why do we have problems when he tells us no? Come on, church. Is it not because there's something greater that is supposed to occur in whatever he's telling us no for? There's something greater? Jesus Christ if God had said, God the Father said, yeah, I'll save you from this and taking him, you and I would not be here today. We would not be saved. There would be no salvation for anybody and the entire world would one day be outside of the presence of God in a lake of fire, everybody. There was something bigger going on, a bigger plan. And God the Father said no, because his suffering had something to do with our future. And so he suffered and he died and he rose the third day so you and I could receive him as our savior and be with him one day. You see, Romans chapter 8, 28 says, um, God works things out for better, for good, for those 
who are called according to his purpose. And we often think that that's us personally, like somehow or another that's singular. And it's not really singular. In, in fact, that working out for good is a uh, locative of sphere or locative of location. It's a location. So let me illustrate this way. Jesus, something was going to be worked out for the better of him and the better of all people if he suffered. So it wasn't just about him. It was about the entire world. So when God tells me no, and when God tells you no, it's a locative of spirits. It's a location. I'm right here. And as I go through that particular suffering that I've asked God to take out of my, my life, he is affecting everybody that I have influence over because they're seeing me go through that faithfully. And so he's not only working out good for me, he's working out good for all these other people around me. So it would be me and let's say Joe. And Joe's right here and it starts working out good for him. Well, guess what? Joe has influence over people that I don't have influence over. And so God begins to work out the good for Joe and everybody that is in Joe's life that is called according to the purpose of God. Every time God tells you no, there is something bigger going on than what you're going through. It's something greater. And it's helping that overall plan. It all works out for good. But not just for you, for everybody. And Jesus went through suffering. And it worked out good for me. And you... If you receive the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. Wow. The next time you have problems, because God told you no, remember God the Father told God the Son no. And follow his example so that God can work some good in your life. This just popped into my mind, and we're going to close with this. The Apostle Paul, who's just like you and me, prayed that the thorn in his flesh would be removed. And God said, no. But that didn't stop Paul from starting church after church after church after church after church. And we can say that another reason that we're here today is because of the faithful service of the Apostle Paul. The reason that you and I know more about God today is because of the faithful service of the Apostle Paul, who was told no, but didn't let that hinder him from still following Jesus. Do not let God's no hinder you from following Jesus. Amen? And that is a sermon for today. And if you're wondering about the title, it's called Prayer Accountability. That's what it's called. So let's, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the stage you've given us. <clears throat> I know what an example from Scripture about prayer. Father, I pray for each person in here, including me, that you'll help us have wisdom when we are praying.